Well, I'm glad I can be here tonight. Um, the, the cool part is it's called stories and n- names and stories. I told my, my wife, Meg, that uh, she said, what are you talking about tonight? I said, I think their theme is faces and places. So <laughs> true to <laughs> uh, I, ne- I never thought that I would be so out of it. Uh, you guys are out of it, too, compared to when you were in high school because um, your younger siblings or kids in high school look at you and go, 21. They don't even know anymore. Um, when I was uh, in uh, high school, the, uh, there were a lot of uh, revolutionary uh, and some terrorist groups in the United States, and one of them called, was called the Students for Democratic Society, and uh, they would uh, bomb put bombs in universities and large corporation places and like that. And uh, Jerry Rubin, the leader of the Students for a Democratic Society, uh, had a saying, he said, don't trust anybody over 30. And one day he turned 30. So he changed it <laughs> because he, he didn't want to really apply it to himself. Um, so anyway, I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my, my background um, I grew up in a small town. Some of you have been to Snoqualmie. And uh, right where Snoqualmie Ridge is, that's where we used to go tobogganing. And when the, there was snow, we had to wait for the snow to do the tobogganing. Um, the neighbor kids would go without the snow. And it was just, they never really got anywhere. <laughs> you know, so uh, Keith and Clay, that was their names. And uh, uh, do you mind if I bounce around a little bit? I'm, I really am ADD. And sometimes I just like to kind of give in. Instead, okay, focus, focus, focus. That's why I write things down. Um, so I grew up in Snoqualmie, and we moved around a lot, sometimes back to the same house. My dad was always looking for a better deal, and I think also maybe uh, because he worked in the lumber mill and got laid off all the time, maybe he didn't always make the payments. So I don't know. Um, but we moved a lot. By the time I was uh, 13, we'd moved 12 times. And so it was always a new school and always a new kid. And um, it was uh, kind of interesting. How do I get into this? Well, when I was six, I had an uncle uh, that started abusing me. And his uh, pleasure was causing pain. And the funny thing is, I didn't remember until I was an adult. All of a sudden, it's like a DVD fast-forwarding. And then, uh, that was why I never liked to go to his house. And uh, so that was going on. And my mom uh, was mentally ill. So there would be seasons when she was doing well and seasons when she wasn't. But the older that we got, um, the worse she got. And um, so, you know... I. I never thought we were growing up different than other kids. You think, oh, that's normal, you know. And uh, what wasn't normal was I used to laugh and say, yeah, my mom used to spank me on the head. Well, hey, my mom's still alive. I shouldn't be talking about this. <laughs> if he gets back to her, she'll really be upset. She's 86, and I don't want to send her to heaven too soon. But it got better, I'll say that. And she's, she's uh, in wonderful shape now. Um, but by the time I got... 12, I remember one time she would get really, really, really angry. And then something would snap. And she 
Sometimes she'd hallucinate or she'd see people that weren't there. And uh, on this particular time, she got amnesia. And she had no idea who we were. And, uh, and she, like, ran away. So I remember her visiting, visiting her in the uh, uh, psych ward up at University Hospital over Christmas that year. And so all this time, you, you don't think that you're growing up differently than anybody else. It doesn't occur to you that there's, there's something different. But I became very, very shy and inward. Um, I'm an introvert by nature anyway. And I just kind of folded in to myself. Um, just not letting you know people in, people close. And... Uh, so that was that was uh, my life, and when I was uh, uh, fourteen, my dad came to me and he said, "Hey, uh, you got to watch your mom. I took a knife away from her the other day, and eventually it came to the point where my older sister and I dropped out of high school because we had four younger siblings, and we had to take care of the kids and watch her and uh, it was, um, you know, it was a regular thing. She'd try to, one time she made it all the way to Snoqualmie Falls. My dad caught her just before. She was climbing over the fence. So that sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? It does get better. Um, yeah, my brother shot me when I was 15. But don't worry, it was just in the face. And it was birdshot, not a bullet. So otherwise, it, you know, right there. Um, I can still remember... He's about 10 feet away. I still remember seeing the smoke come out of the end of the barrel. And his eyes were like that big. But he was playing with a gun in somebody else's house. And somebody had put, you know, this, this, uh, this bullet in it. And uh, my pastor came and visited me in the hospital. That's what I'm trying to get to, the, to this point. And he started grilling me. What bad thing had I done that allowed this to happen? And that's so God was mad at me, so he had my brother shoot me. That was kind of the, if you take that argument clear, on out. And I, I didn't say a thing to him, and he kept asking what, what I'd done. I think I know now, I was pretty innocent then, but I think I know now what he's trying to get me to admit to, and I hadn't heard of that yet. Um, but, you know, he got no, no uh, information. But I decided then I wasn't ever going to church again. I'm not. I'm not going to church. I'd grown up going to church, and I saw um, people using positions uh, to control other people. And it just, was, it just wasn't the way it was supposed to be. So we moved to Bellevue, and I got interested in God again. Um, this pastor, my mom was going to church, and my sisters. And, uh, by the way, during that time that she was sick, and I was out of high school and staying home, um, she got healed totally. She had epilepsy, uh, this thing called Meniere's disease, which your inner ear canals kind of disintegrate, and you lose balance. And then... We don't really know. I don't really know. We thought it was schizophrenia that, that she, she had. But um, we had all this spiritual, scary stuff happening 
in the house, and these Polish people came over that were were Christians, and they prayed for my mother, and it changed. I mean, it just just like overnight, it changed. That kind of got. That's what really started getting me interested in God, because I remember thinking, well, if I could do that, <laughs> I could do a lot of good, and I'd be famous. Um, so the next night they came back. You know what they did? They prayed for our house because th- th- there was a physical thing wrong with her, but there was also a spiritual torment without saying his name. Um, and they came over and prayed for our house. I kid you not, we had an earthquake just in our house. They, they commanded every demonic power to leave, every spiritual force that was not of God to leave, and the house just went like that. And after that, nobody knocked on the windows at night. We didn't hear people talking. Um, We didn't see people walking around. Um, But until I was 36, I was afraid of the dark. It took me a long time to get over being afraid of the dark. So I get shot. Then my mom gets healed. And we moved to Bellevue. And this pastor started coming over. And I had... I think I had the oldest car in the high school. I had a 1939 Pontiac. Some of you car guys. Um, and he'd come over and work on my car with me. And he'd get like grease under his fingernails. And I'd never seen a pastor with dirty fingernails. And, you know, grease on his hands. It takes a few days to wear off. And, but Pastor Freeberg was like that. And one time he even stood up in church and said, you know, guys, I really really enjoy helping you work on your cars because there's about four or five of us. We just showed up at his house and said, hey, could you look at this, you know? And he said, but Monday's my day off. So if you could not come to the house on Monday, that'd be great. And I thought, day off? You only, you only work one day now. What do you need a day off for? Uh, I found out that pastors work a little more than that. Um, and he, a person, got me interested in church. But I got interested in some of the people first. And that's what made the difference. I was tired of the church as an institution. But this guy was real. And eventually I came to the point, I thought, if I could be like him, I don't think I'd mind being a pastor. But here I was, this shy guy. And so he started making me get up front and read scriptures. And the first scripture I read, I didn't even know where it is. It was an old... um, King James verse, but I, I know what it says now because it said that, uh, that uh, to live a holy life, we should all strive to eschew evil concupiscence. I don't even know what that means still. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I didn't know then, but I couldn't say it then. But when I would get nervous, I'd start laughing, so I started laughing. I, it was terrible. So that got me interested again. And our culture, it was really an interesting time, very similar to what I see happening now. Your generation is awesome because our whole point was we wanted to leave the world a better place than it was when we came. We wanted the world to change. We wanted injustice to stop. You've seen movies of civil rights marches. I watched them on TV on the news. I remember watching on the news when down in Mississippi they turned the fire hoses on and German shepherd dogs on people that were marching for the right to vote. And it wasn't just black people, there were white people 
and Mexicans and people from other, uh, other countries would come over to stand in solidarity with those people. I remember seeing that. Do you know, you couldn't vote until you were 21, but you could go in the military and be shot at when you were 17. That didn't seem to make sense to us. Um, That was also the time of the Equal Rights Amendment passing. Every state had to vote to give women equal rights with men. And after that amendment passed, then there were all kinds of lawsuits of private men's clubs, like a golfing club, things like that, that wouldn't let women in, and the women were winning all these lawsuits. So, um, kind of an interesting time. How many have ever heard of Earth Day? Well, it started in 1971. Happened to be the year I graduated from high school. Um, so I could be your grandpa, couldn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of things uh, going on. I, when you're 18, you had to register as a, as a, uh, uh, a citizen. All the guys did. Uh, you, 18th birthday, you go down to Seattle and you sign up for the draft. And then the next year, they would have a lottery, and it would have 365 little balls in this thing, just like on a, a bingo thing. And they would start pulling them out one by one. And if your birthday was the 5th of June, and um, you got pulled up on the, the 5th of June, got pulled up on the 7th poll, that means that you're probably going to get drafted. Mine happened to be like 205, so... I didn't have anything to worry about. But I registered as a conscientious, conscientious objector. And that means that you were philosophically and morally opposed to the war and to killing other people. And a lot of people that were opposed moved to Canada and just stayed there. Um, a lot of them, uh, like Muhammad Ali, went to prison because he wouldn't go in the army. And he was probably the most prominent uh, conscientious objector. I was just going to go in, if they wanted me to go in, as a medic, but no gun. And so there was a lot of countercultural stuff going on, a lot of marches, um, a lot of sit-ins, and a lot of injustice. I remember the, the day when the National Guard opened fire on students at Kent State University in Ohio. And killed a whole bunch of students. Because some, some nat- National Guard guy just, you know, was a weekend soldier. And he got scared. He thought something was going to happen. He shot his gun and then a bunch of them shot their guns. So it was, it was a really rough time to be sitting there every Friday night. And Walter Cron- Cronkite, the news guy of the day, would say, Today in Vietnam, 57 Americans were killed in 10,000, or whatever, <laughs> they say, you know, like 700 Viet Cong. It was always, they lost more than we did, but we lost a lot of young men and women. Uh, my own brother was, went to Vietnam in, in the Marines. He got shot, but he survived. But he got Agent Orange put on him when they, they spray this stuff to defoliate the jungle so you could see where the bad guys were hiding. The only problem was it's poisonous. And he wound up, like a lot of guys, getting cancer. And he died like at 53 from uh, brain cancer. Coming, see, coming out, nobody has an easy 
uh, generation. So, m- my wife, uh, Meg, one time, she came from a really nice Catholic family. There was no divorce, no bad stuff. And um, after we were married a couple of years, something bad happened in her family, and she was really upset. And um, I said, hey, it's okay, it's okay. It'll be okay. She goes, well, that's easy for you to say. You're lucky. Your family's always had problems. And that's, that's our, you're, you're lucky. Your family's always had problems. But you're going to hit, either you've already been in it, or you're in it, or you're going to have it. And the thing that really kept me going was I always seemed to come back around to God. And that helped a lot. But out of my, my culture, my generation, um, has a, a lot has come out of that that has caused me to be who I am and do what I've done. A lot of people talk about wanting to make an impact on the world, and they talk about it, they blog about it, they sometimes even march for it, but they don't get involved. And my mantra is, if you want to have an impact, you've got to get involved. If, now, you're not going to do it the way I did. I, I was part of a grassroots movement that helped incorporate the city of Covington. As, as a, I was the only pastor on the Chamber of Commerce, and I helped start the Chamber of Commerce. I was uh, the chairman of it a couple, for a couple of years. Uh, pastors don't usually do that. And I said, I don't think you want a pastor as the business leader. And they go, not a regular one. So I thought, yes, I always wanted to be different. Somebody's going to have to tell me uh, when we hit like 20 minutes. We're probably already there. So let, let me get, I could tell you a whole bunch because I'm so old. I have a lot of stories. And so if you want to know more, uh, we lived in the Philippines. I've been to Cuba about 11 times. Uh, seen a lot of interesting things there, communism, how it works. And I think about 13 other countries I've spent time in. Um, I've just been very blessed to be that. But at the end of the day, I, my, my goal, Meg and I, is to be the kind of people for the rest of our lives that people like you like being around. We are not going to get stuck. We're not going to wish things could be the way that they were. I tell the people over 60, I hate going to that group because a lot of them are over 70, but they're really, really nice people. And sometimes they complain about it's too dark, the music's too loud, uh, too much people on the platform, why can't we sing some hymns once in a while? And I told them, and some of them said, it wasn't like that in our day. And I said, that's right, because it was our day. We were them. Now, our job is to support them and give money. Because we have more disposable income than they do. And they're going to do some great things. This is serious. I tell them this. They're going to do some great things, but they need our money. And over the years, there's been old people that have kind of showed me that. And I thought, I'd like to be like Clifford. Every time, this guy named Clifford, he's really gruff, but every time someone went on a mission trip, they'd get a handshake with a $20 bill or $50 bill. He'd never seen like that. And that was it. And shake his hand and you'd wind up with money in your hand. And uh, he's a really cool guy. But, um, you know, he listened to a lot of uh, hymns and, and organ music. Do you know that Christian rock music did not exist until about 1970? And 
we used to go every Friday and Saturday night down to Seattle to this, this Jesus People coffee house called the Catacombs. And there was the first band I heard was called Wilson McKinley. And they were singing Spirit in the Sky. They changed it around or whatever. And uh, take me up, Spirit in the Sky. And so, but I had never heard rock and roll with Christian words. It was almost like, like sacrilegious. And it was, it was awesome. We had a big fight in our church because someone wanted to play guitar on the platform on a Sunday. And then when they want drums, they said, okay, but they have to be down on the floor. They can't be on the platform. Okay. So, do you think if Jesus came today, what kind of church would he go to? Or do you think he'd go to church? Do you think he'd like our church? Maybe he would go to a small, a small humble church, like not so good music and bad children's programs, but they really love the poor. And there's a lot of them in their church. Or maybe go to a large church with really cool programs and a great worship team and that attracts a lot of other Christians. And maybe those aren't mutually exclusive. Maybe, maybe he would be concerned about both. But I think, <laughs> I think that, because I'm talking, I guess I have to talk about what I think. Um, that some of us, if you really imagine Jesus coming, like that he would personally come to the earth for a visit and kind of make the circuit. You know, going from church to church and talk to Christians about improving their spiritual life and really think that through sometime. What do you think Jesus would do in America in 2016 if he came for a visit, like a vacation? Where would he go? Would he go to the Grand Canyon? Mm, he made it. So, hmm. Mount Everest, but he made it. So, he'd been there, done that. Scripture, James two fourteen through 18. First I'll read it normal, and then I'll read it my way. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. Someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have the good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. So I call it kind of like Sunday church and Monday church. There's this church we have on Sunday, and it's important. But there's the church that we have on Monday morning uh, where we we live the the real life. So I'm going to read it that way. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have Sunday church but don't show it by Monday church? That kind of Sunday church, can it save anyone? If you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well to someone who's hungry, Sunday church... But then you don't give that person any food or clothing, Monday church. What good does that do? So you see, Sunday church by itself isn't enough unless it produces a good Monday church. Now someone may argue, some people have Sunday church and others have Monday church. But I say, how can you show me your Sunday church if you don't have Monday church? I'll show you my Sunday church by my Monday church. 
And I want, you, I want to see you guys be an army of Monday church people that get what they need on Sunday church and take it out. Because you can't go out there powerless. You can't go out there without being, ha- having some, some um, sustenance. But it doesn't all happen in church. I mean, even people giving their lives to God. It, it's not supposed to happen here. It's supposed to happen out there. And then, when it happens out there, you bring them back here. And we all celebrate. You know, hey, some more, some more of God's sheep found their way to the fold. Now, let's get, let's get improved. Let's grow. Let's, let's do something. So, Sunday church is about empowerment, but Monday church is about impartation. Sunday church, you grow in your faith, but on Monday church, you do with your faith. Sunday church is really for believers, but Monday church is for not yet believers. Sunday church, receiving power, but Monday church, performance. Sunday church, becoming a disciple of Christ, and Monday church is about being a demonstration of Christ. On Sunday church, you receive strength and encouragement, and on Monday church, you give strength and encouragement. In Sunday church, you connect with God through worship, but in Monday church, you connect with people through service. On Sunday church, it's hands reaching up. Monday church, it's hands reaching out. Sunday church, you listen to God, but in Monday church, you listen to people. Sunday church, you're safe and secure, but in Monday church, you're working without a net. Sunday church, it's feed me so I can grow, but in Monday church, it's feed me so I can live. In Sunday church, it's coming to the family, but in Monday church, it's going to the fatherless. Sunday church, you grow in your faith. In Monday church, you go to the faithless. Sunday church, you're coming to the service. In Monday church, you're going to the world. And in Sunday church, you come to the storehouse. But in Monday church, you're going to the harvest field. See, if we only have Sunday church, we develop selfish spirituality, and we can get separated from the real needs in our community. But if we only have Monday church... We can become so socially focused that we lose our spiritual life. And we get separated from the very source that gives us the power to do what we're wanting to do. Sunday church is salt in the salt shaker. But Monday church can become salt that's lost its flavor. We have to, we need both. Not just from a message you hear, and not just from some good music or somebody's story, but each of us that come together have something that can bless somebody else. We don't want to become shopping mall Christians where we we come and say, okay, throw me. Okay, show me something new. Show me something great. Show me something that's going to benefit me. But Monday church people come to Sunday church saying, how can I... How can I be a blessing to somebody? How can I be inclusive? How can I draw someone in? You've heard this story about Teresa Soto. Pastor Steve told it on Sunday. All she did was hug one of the teenagers that hadn't been to church for a while, but she was coming to church one last time before she committed suicide. 
but because Teresa sought her out, got her, got some other girls around, and they just were being nice to her, she decided not to do it. Um, we are the salt of the earth. Here's my theory on salt. If you go to a really expensive restaurant, how many of you have been to expensive restaurants? Right? Okay, I don't like the guy putting the napkin in my lap. That's a little too friendly for me. But, you know, I let him do it. They don't cause a scene. If you go there and you pay a lot of money for a steak and they don't put salt on it, what do you say about the steak? That wasn't very good. This is the same steak that you can eat in another place and they put too much salt on it. And what do you say about that? That wasn't good steak. It's too salty. I could taste the salt. My theory is that if we're the salt of the earth, we should make the earth taste better. If we're the salt of the earth, we should make our community taste better and they won't even know why. See, Pastor Steve and I, we didn't even know it. We were saying the exact same thing in two separate churches. We're not here to get people into our church. We're here to get people out of our church and into the community. And getting them into the church, that'll take care of itself. Hmm. So we're the salt of the earth. We've got to be out there or our community is tasteless. But I don't think this is a day to be standing on a sawhorse with a megahorn or bullhorn shouting at people that in our parking lot that women shouldn't wear tight pants, they should be wearing dresses. Um, there was somebody out there that did that last. When we had the Seahawk 12 on the roof, they came and protested us because we weren't spiritual anymore. That's a little too salty for me. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? You can be you. God, you know, have you... We're, we're done. You come and you think, there's nobody here like me. You know why? Because we don't have one of you yet. You have a unique place to fill. And if you came and saw someone just like you, we don't need you. Right? People are similar, but no one is just like you. And you're salt. Just a little different brand. But out in the community, find a place to connect and just be you. All right? Let's pray. God, thank you that we're the salt of the earth. Thank you for Monday church. Thank you for Sunday church. And thank you for all the stories represented here where your hand is already guiding and directing their life. Amen. Thank you. I hope you guys caught the heart of what Pastor Kevin was just sharing with you. Um, he really is a deep well of information. I know that sounds weird, but he's he and Pastor Meg have walked through a lot of life, and Ed and I have such great respect for you guys. Um, they're actually transitioning soon to California to be with their kids, and so this is probably one of the last times we'll get to hear from him for a while. But um, 
you know, like I said earlier, we, we didn't do this series by happenstance. And I hope that you take a nugget, so to speak, out of every single one of these stories that you're hearing and really implement it. Cause what Pastor Kevin said tonight was so good and it was rich. And I hope you caught that, that you have a place everywhere that you go, that you are unique flavor and, and have a purpose for this community, but also every community that you're part of. Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then we've got a bonfire happening right now, um, and s'mores, so if you're still hungry for some sugar, if you didn't get some ice cream earlier, we've got s'mores for you, but I'm going to pray and we can hop out there. God, I thank you so much for um, Pastor Kevin and the great word that he gave to us tonight. And um, I just pray for every single person in UDYA, God. I just thank you so much for where they are at right now and where you're continuing to take them. And um, we just pray for a great week in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. We, uh, like I said, there's bonfire. There's some more stuff. It's happening right now.